there, and welcome to the Bartender Atlas Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Lindley. If this is your first time joining us, welcome. Uh, Bartender Atlas is a worldwide directory of bartenders. You can find us online and on Instagram, at Bartender Atlas. Just Google us. We show up. On this week's episode of the Bartender Atlas Podcast, I get to talk with my friend Lindsay Jones. Lindsay and I have a, a special kinship, or at least I feel it. It might be just one directional. Um, <laughs> she didn't really start working in bars until she was 25 or 26. Uh, before that, she worked as a snowboard instructor, and she worked as a letter carrier for the post office. She had a bunch of different jobs, and then eventually found her way to the bar, um, just showing that once you find something, it doesn't have to be a life sentence. Uh, other than that, Lindsay also decided to move away from Toronto, which most of the marketing people would call a major market, uh, and she decided to move to Halifax. Goes to Halifax, which is a very, very small city when compared to Toronto, very big compared to the rest of Eastern Canada. She gets out there, that's where she really flourished as a cocktail bartender. Um, she gets really into the details of the whole story on this podcast. Hopefully you enjoy what you hear. And here we are. It's Lindsay Jones on the Bartender Atlas podcast. All right, Lindsay Jones, what did you want to be when you were a little kid when you grew up? What did I want to be? Um, <laughs> I wanted to be a forensic investigator. <laughs> what, really? Yeah. I don't know. I watched a lot of uh, crazy crime movies in the 90s and really made me wanted to do that. And then um, I realized I wasn't very good at school, so that never happened. <laughs> Was it just all CSI all the time? or I watched a lot of, like, Morgan Freeman and Sean Connery movies. And, yeah, no, it's, uh, I don't know. <laughs> wow, okay. I always found intrigue in that field. I don't know what it was, but... Um, yeah, I thought it would be cool to be that one day. <laughs> Did you keep up with it? Is this uh, the style of movie that you still like choose to watch when Netflix recommends something for you? Yeah, I mean, I wish they made movies like they did in the 90s. I just, uh, I find it, you don't find any uh, really good crime movies anymore. They're just not there. They're not original. They're not as uh, cool as they used to be. <laughs> huh. Uh, and where did you grow up? I grew up in uh, Toronto. Where in Toronto? Uh, in the East End, in the beach. What was your neighborhood like? Very calm and very family-oriented. Um, I lived uh, just steps from the beach, so me and my brother just, yeah, it was a very uh, chill neighborhood. Spent a lot of time on the beach growing up in and around with the other neighborhood kids, and yeah. What kind of school did you go to? Uh, what kind of school? Uh, just a normal Toronto public school, just up the street. Uh, the beach only had um, a couple of them. Um, so yeah, I went to uh, public school there and then, uh, junior high and high school as well, all within a few blocks of each other. You stayed in the same house the whole time? No, I, my mom was a real estate agent, so, um, we moved houses quite a bit. <laughs> She'd find the one she liked and then we'd move around. Um, but yeah, always in the same neighborhood. Get that like inside track on what houses are around and available. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, never very, never more than a few blocks from each other, though, again. Uh, it was a pretty small neighborhood, so uh, it's very much like a small community in a big city. Everyone is, uh, or at least used to be, all very tight-knit. Everyone knew each other. Everyone was very friendly. Yeah, real like a, like a TV cul-de-sac idea. Yeah, exactly that. <laughs> yeah. For um, sure. And so you, uh, you mentioned that like you, you stuck to pretty much the same school the whole time too, even though you were moving six blocks from yourself all the time. 
Yeah, I went to the same school from uh, uh, grade two to grade six, and then grade seven and eight, and then uh, the same high school throughout. Once you got into high school, what uh, like what social crew did you run with? What were your friends all into? What were you into? What were your hobbies? Um, I I never had a clique. I kind of I was that person who was friends with everybody, so I just kind of um, moved around in the cliques. Um, in terms of hobbies, I was uh, big into sports. Uh, I played baseball uh, my entire high school. Um, I did some track and field as well, and uh, I always did extracurricular sports outside of schools. So a lot of athletics. What position did you play when you were playing baseball? Baseball, I played shortstop and left field. So like quick hands. Yeah. <laughs> I had a pretty good arm, so they, they like to have me in the field there. Do you feel that uh, through playing baseball and working on a team and that kind of thing, that really affected how you work behind a bar? Uh, yeah, I mean, um, it definitely, not everyone's good at working on a team. So playing sports definitely teaches you that uh, sports dynamic and how to work with other people and how to communicate properly and um, just kind of creating an end goal and working together to get there. This is just based on you and I hanging out and me uh, knowing you a little bit. You were kind of an emo kid, yeah? Oh, yeah, big time. <laughs> I loved my emo, my punk, my ska. Um, yeah, that was definitely me as a kid. I'm still like that. I'm in my 30s, and I'm still <laughs> like that. How did that fit into your playing sports and being on a sports team? Um, I don't think it really made a difference. I found, um, especially uh, with female sports teams, everyone was very... Um, it was a very diverse crowd of people. It wasn't uh, it wasn't necessarily like a certain group of people that partook in all these. So, um, yeah, no, uh, definitely growing up like that, though, I was especially being a girl. I was one of the only girls who was super into punk and emo and skateboarding and snowboarding and all of that stuff. <laughs> what what were some of your favorite bands and favorite records? Yeah, I mean, uh, thinking of high school, like Less Than Jake, Hello Rock Do, that was definitely one of my favorites. Sublime, I was super into Sublime when I was little. As I got older, I uh, got into like uh, Taking Back Sunday and um, Brand New, all of those typical bands that um, people fall in love with. I loved Silverstein, I listened to Silverstein a whole lot. <laughs> Have you ever met Billy? He's one of us. He's a bartender and a beer nerd more than anything. You've ever hu- have you ever met him or hung out with him? Uh, I've never hung out with him. I have met him a few times at like shows and such. Yeah, never in a bartending capacity though. No. Right. And so you were going to shows all over Toronto at the same time. Yeah. Yes, and it's definitely the thing I miss most about Toronto is uh, going to shows. I was going to at least half a dozen shows a month. Um, all it sucks. All my favorite venues are gone, like the Reverb and um, I, the Funhouse. All of those little ones. It sucks to see them all go. But <laughs> besides the music, in and of itself, and the energy of it, how does the attitude of the music that you listen to as a youth affect the way that you lead your life now? Not just bartending, but uh, you know everything you do. You know, obviously talking about punk and ska and emo, very uh, vulnerable and honest, but also. Uh, very thoughtful music. Does that affect the way that you run your life even to this day? I don't know how much of a direct impact it has, but uh, I mean, I think it definitely affects the way you uh, process things, um, feelings and emotions and as lame as that sounds, but <laughs> um, it's pretty cool with a lot of those bands too. They're still making music. So um, being around the same age as all of them, 
when I was listening to them, kind of listening to how they've progressed with their albums and how they have throughout their life. It's kind of cool to go along the bands in the same way, if that makes sense. Do you feel like there's a direct correlation when you're uh, managing bars and reading articles about people and, you know, watching online videos and seeing all these workshops and stuff? Do you feel there's the same sort of connection that you have with bands that are the same age as you? Uh, what do you mean in that way? Well, if you're watching, you know, um, obviously in the last seven months with COVID, there's been a lot of online workshops and online interviews with people who are industry leaders as far as bartending is concerned. And do you feel like a lot of these people are about the same age and sort of going through the same thing you are? Can you relate to them the same way that you relate to bands that you listen to? Oh, um, yeah, definitely. Uh, it's, it's been super cool watching, um, everyone over the past few months. Uh, I think it's really shown who the community leaders are and um, watching their roles, how important they have been um, and uh, how much you really get to see how much heart people did have all along. I know a lot of people say they're all for the industry and everything, but uh, there has been definitely like a lot of people who have stepped up and been there for the industry and continue to work and do things for everyone involved. So it's been super cool to see that. Just a quick one. When you're, Making drinks, I mean, we'll talk a little bit about the Ostrich Club in a bit, but uh, when you're making drinks and you're shaking, do you have a specific song goes through your head and you try to keep the rhythm of every time you're making a drink? I don't have a specific song, but I definitely do have a very rhythmic shape that is the same over and over again. It's, uh, it's, it's definitely like to a beat. I don't know what that beat was or where it came from, but um, it is the same rhythm every time. <laughs> Uh, you're in Toronto, you're going to punk rock shows, you're living in the same neighborhood, you've got your friends, whatever. What was your first job? My first job in the industry or in general? Your first job in general. Um, I was actually a snowboard instructor when I was uh, 15. <laughs> that was my first job. What, in Toronto? Yeah, so I was uh, part of this like traveling uh, ski and snowboard school that I had started when I was uh, around eight years old. And... Uh, they pick you up on buses in the city and they drive you north of the city to uh, have ski and snowboarding lessons. So once I turned old enough to teach, um, I got my certification to teach both skiing and snowboarding. And um, yeah, I did that for about 10 years. How? What? Wait. <laughs> yeah. This is, this, this is news to me. And so um, anyone that's listening that isn't from Toronto, it's a remarkably flat city. So, like, how did snowboarding become the thing that you got into? Um, I had actually been skiing for a few years longer than I had been snowboarding, and um, the person who owned the snowboarding school, um, snowboarding obviously came into the picture a few years later. It wasn't very popular, um, but they explained to my mom that they were introducing snowboarding to the program, and they thought it would be beneficial for my brother and I to pick up the sport as well so we went from just skiing on saturdays to skiing on saturdays and snowboarding on sundays yeah eventually we just got good at both sports and uh we bo we both ended up teaching my brother still does actually he's been doing it for like 20 years now and you say you did that job for 10 years yeah it was just like a, a week a winter weekend gig and what did you do during the week then during the week my next job would have been while i was in high school i worked at a movie theater for a little bit um, and then I actually worked, uh, customer service at Canadian tire for like the rest of my teens. I feel like, um, it's a very interesting job. <laughs> I feel like being a movie theater usher is one of those, uh, underrepresented and under acknowledged service industry jobs. 
Yeah, it was it was weird. It was like a boutique movie theater too. They only had one screen, so it was like there was two movies a night, and that was it. <laughs> so you had to be aware of everything going on. Did you have regulars even? Yeah, again, it was like it was the only movie theater in the in the neighborhood at the time, uh, so it was where everybody went. And did you move from? doing that job and those jobs, I guess, into working in bars? No, um, I've, I have done everything. I have had so many jobs I have done. I have worked in the paint industry. I have worked for Canada post. I've done hotel management. I've done, um, the list goes on really. (laughs) Did you go to university for hotel management stuff or did you just kind of fall into it? I went to, uh, George Brown for event planning and, uh, tourism management. And so straight out of university, what did you start doing? Um, Straight out of university, my plan was to get a job in event planning, but um, nobody in my class was actually able to get a job in that field because of how new it was and how um, just there's, it's not like people hire like a whole firm of event planners. It's usually one or two people who are event planners and just need an assistant um, so what happened was, I guess, shortly after university, I actually moved out West. Uh, I lived in Whistler for a few years and I got, my friend worked at a hotel and got me a job as a housekeeper. I was a housekeeper for about two days before they lost their, um, assistant manager. And then they just hired me as their assistant housekeeping manager. And then before I knew it, I was the manager of the department and yeah, so I was doing hotel management while I was in Whistler for a few years. What hotel in Whistler were you at? Uh, it was called the Whistler Village Inn and Suites. Did uh, it's still there now? It's at the base of uh, Whistler Mountain. Your history of snowboarding obviously helped out when you were in Whistler, yeah. Yeah, it was great. I I didn't uh, teach while I was out there, but I it was recreational for sure, and it was super cool. I could I could snowboard to work if I want. I lived at the bottom of one half of the mountain. I could just take the gondola up and snowboard down another hill to work. So that was pretty cool. <laughs> Literally snowboarding to work. Yeah. That's amazing. <laughs> it was awesome. <laughs> when did you start actually working in bars? Uh, that wasn't until I was about 25. I had already moved back to Toronto. I'd been back for about two or three years. Um, I was working at, um, I was working for Benjamin Moore at the time. I was a paint technician and color specialist for them. And uh, I just needed a second job. I was looking to... Um, go on a a trip down the PCH in California with my best friend and I needed some extra cash. So I had a friend opening a bar and I begged him for uh, a gig behind the bar uh, just to make what I thought was going to be a couple months just to make some extra cash. And uh, I worked my first shift and just fell in love with it and knew that in whatever capacity I wanted to work in bars. What kind of bar was it? It was like the diviest of dive bars (laughs) for sure. Um, just draft beer and tequila shots. Where was it in the city? Uh, it was in the beach. It was in this um, small little dingy building. Um, yeah, just tons of regulars, lots of old men who were just there to watch hockey and drink their Coors Light and chain smoke. Yeah, <laughs> definitely very different from what I'm doing nowadays. How do you go from working in a dive bar in the beaches in Toronto where you got old men smoking cigars? <laughs> sitting at your bar watching hockey games. How do you go from that to getting involved in cocktails and being interested in like, did you stick around Toronto for a while? How, how did the uh, bartending genesis happen for you? Uh, so what happened was that bar ended up shutting down. No surprise there. Um, and then I, 
ended up getting uh, a couple other just divey bar gigs around the city. And eventually I just kind of, I, I still, I still knew I wanted to work in the bars, but I wanted something that was a little bit more challenging, like that was going to be more challenging for me and just a little bit more stimulating, I guess. And I stumbled across cocktails one day and I was just like, what are these? And, um, I didn't really know. I didn't really know people made cocktails. I just kind of thought that, you know, like every bar had their Cosmo and their blue Hawaiian and that was just kind of standard. Um, and then I started discovering that, uh, the craft cocktail world. So, uh, when I moved to Halifax, uh, five years ago now, I got a job at a uh, cocktail bar, the middle spoon. And that was my introduction to the cocktail world. And, um, I just absolutely fell in love with it. It was challenging. It was exciting. It was a super cool creative outlet for me. And um, I just went headfirst into it and gave it my everything. When you were in these bars in Toronto that you were working at, you weren't really making cocktails necessarily. No, I was just, I was doing it for the money. Um, that was about it. It was just working in dive bars and pubs and everything. It's, the money is just stupid and you get very addicted to it. <laughs> and so... You mentioned, obviously, now you live in Halifax. What was the impetus to have you go from Toronto dive bars to deciding to move to Halifax? What drew you there? Uh, I was just getting tired of Toronto again. I mean, like I said, I had already gone to Whistler, and then I came back to Toronto, and I started um, just getting tired of again. Just the quality of life there is hard. Rent's expensive. You spend half the day on the TTC. Uh, job opportunities were few and far between. So I was just looking for a change. And since I had headed west already, I just decided to go east this time. And Halifax being the biggest the biggest city with the most prospects um, seemed like the right choice. I had never even been here before, but I was just kind of hoping for the best. Did you know anybody out. in Halifax before you moved there? No, never been here. Didn't know anybody. I, had, I hadn't even sent out a job application. I, I got an apartment and that was about it. <laughs> It's very brave of you um, <laughs> to just jump into a new city. And when you got to Halifax, you started working at the Middle Spoon. Uh, not immediately. Um, I actually got a job as um, a housekeeping manager at um, one of the Marriott's out here. And I did that for like a year and a half while I was working at the Middle Spoon part-time. I was uh, yeah, just split between the two jobs. And then after about a year and a half, the opportunity to have enough hours to uh, get rid of the hotel job came up. So I took it and started working at the Middle Spoon and Noble full time. Who was in charge? Also the first time in my life I've only had like one job, so it's been pretty cool. <laughs> who, was the, who was in charge of the Middle Spoon and uh, Noble when you started there? Um, when I started, um, Evan McNeil, who, you know, um, trained me, he is, uh, one of my favorite people ever. He definitely like sparked the, uh, the passion for cocktails. He was so excited and so excited to teach me everything. Um, so very thankful for his mentorship at the beginning there. Um, uh, and then not too long after he left and, um, which, uh, Anne Marie was, uh, the head bartender there um, definitely learned a lot from her as well. We're still good friends to this day. Yeah, I learned a lot from both of them. So, And you were primarily there, but then you've moved on in the last year or so. You've gotten a new job, yeah? Yeah, so in February, I started with the Ostrich Club as their bar manager, and um, it has been such a great experience. I'm so happy there. Um, 
I get a lot of creative freedom. I, uh, I have like an all-star team, uh, back of house and front of house. So it's super cool to get to work alongside everyone. Um, I, I love it so much. It's great. What was it like starting a job and then immediately walking into a pandemic? That was weird. It sucked because I was so excited and like this job gave me essentially everything I was looking for in a bar job. And um, then three weeks later, uh, the whole thing shut down, <laughs> which uh, which sucked because uh, the restaurant had also just undergone renovations, reconceptualized. Um, so everybody involved was super excited to work with this new model. And um, yeah, that was quickly taken away from all of us very briefly, but, uh, it was cool. Our, uh, our whole staff stuck together, uh, very closely. Uh, we checked in with each other multiple times a week. We did staff training, so it didn't seem like, uh, we were very far from each other for very and, long at all. And compared to the cigarette smoking hockey watching bar that you worked in before, uh, what is the ostrich club like as what's the vibe? <laughs> It's so much better. It's a lot loungier, more um, upscale bar-like. Uh, we do a lot of small plates. Uh, we have an awesome wine list, uh, cocktails. Uh, so people are very much just coming there to have a very chill evening, have a few drinks with their dinner, hang out with their friends. You don't have to cut anybody off. You don't have to throw anybody out. You don't need to call the cops on anyone for fighting. It's, uh, it's great. <laughs> Uh, it's it's funny when you work in the service industry for long enough where you don't have to call the cops on someone is like <laughs> the bar that you set like good versus bad. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, it's, it's such a welcome change and um, it's so awesome. I love it. And then the big reason that uh, I wanted to talk to you is that not only did you disappear from Toronto, move to Halifax, which I didn't realize you didn't know anybody when you moved there and didn't have a job or anything, but you take off, you go to Halifax, you say you've been there for about five years now, yeah? Yeah, five years, October. About two years ago, you and another bartender, Will Irvine, started a program, I guess you could call it. What's that all about? Yeah, Halley Team. It was uh, essentially just... Um it was kind of like a portfolio. We essentially started it to create this portfolio of all the cocktails and all the cool things that all the bartenders were doing out of here. Um, we started it because we were really mad at getting snubbed from all these competitions that larger markets were being offered in uh, across Canada, but weren't even using that opportunity. Like they, they were getting such low turnout. So just because Toronto had the larger market, they'd give – than this competition, but then they'd only have two submissions where we get snubbed and we'd have 16 people willing to submit to these competitions. So, um, yeah, we just started this Instagram account and, um, we started, um, submitting it. It happened with, um, with Bombay Patron and with Woodford. We just had people flood like the Quebec submissions or the Toronto submissions with all of ours. And, um, yeah, eventually it worked. We got Patron, we got MIB, uh, Woodford never came here, unfortunately, but, um, yeah, so it was just a just a way to showcase the talent in this community and the drive and the passion that everybody has to the rest of the rest of the country. And so through doing that, you get connected with a bunch of brand reps and with a bunch of different brands, and that's brought a lot of attention to Halifax, yeah? Yeah, I mean, it definitely helped. Um, we made it very hard to ignore us. Um, just with the, the sheer level of talent coming out of the city too. I mean, there are so many bartenders who aren't just passionate, but like 
talented as well. Um, so it's uh, they definitely deserve to be recognized. And just because we live in Halifax doesn't mean that um, we deserve to be looked over. So anyone that's listening internationally will know that in Toronto, or sorry, in Canada, most people only think of Toronto, Montreal, and Vancouver even though Halifax is one of the oldest and best established cities in the country. And it is definitely a drinking town. When you first moved there, where was the cocktail scene at? Because obviously uh, anyone that's paid any attention to Eastern Canada knows that everyone drinks rum, everyone drinks beer. But what's the transition been like and training bartenders and teaching even the people that are going out to bars to appreciate and and be ready to drink cocktails as opposed to just beer and rum? When I first moved out here, uh, the transition was well underway. It was uh, a lot further along than um, I initially thought. There had been a lot of bartenders here um, laying the footwork for that uh, for a few years prior. Um, So people were definitely excited about cocktails. They were going out to drink them. Uh, nowadays, like this city is very cocktail heavy. People, people go to the bar and that, and they want cocktails. So, um, you'd be hard pressed to walk into any bar really, whether it's a pub, um, a steakhouse, uh, a lounge, everyone's got cocktails on their list. Everyone's very excited about it. I think bartenders have done a really good job about educating consumers on different uh, products, different spirits, uh, modifiers. It's crazy how much people do know about cocktails out here. Because Halifax isn't a huge city, right? No, not at all. I think one of the biggest things helping with the uh, the, the cocktail revival out here as well, though, is we have um, we have a growing population, but we have a, a younger population. Um, up until like a few years ago, uh, once you finish university, you would essentially leave. The median age, I think, when I moved here was around 40 years old, uh, which is pretty old. So now you have a lot of people who are staying here after university. You have a lot more people just um, excited for a um, new dining experience. What sort of other events and and, uh, engagements do you have with Halley team? Well, a lot of them are put on pause right now, unfortunately, just with um, the inability to host events and everything. But um, we had started um, doing a few competitions. We um, partnered with uh, Campari to host... um, what we called uh, the bitter brawl, which was a uh, super cool, um, like an Amari bitter driven competition that we were able to host. Um, we're still hoping to be able to uh, get something in the works for that next year. We also partnered with um, a couple other companies just to host some different competitions. Um, we've worked with brands to do some different tasting events, um, um, whether they're public or uh, industry focused. Uh, just essentially working with different brands just to um, help get the word out about certain products, um, making fun events for bartenders to partake in, things like that. So can you go through, because obviously everyone at this point is trying to figure out the best way to work with anybody. How does the process work when you are engaging with a brand and trying to organize, whether it's an event or an online thing or a competition, how does that process work out? Um, well, using the bitter brawl as an example, um, Will and I, uh, Will, who actually works with me at the ostrich club now, um, we, uh, we had competed a lot and, uh, we were kind of just tired of using the same spirits, like the same companies doing the same competitions year after year, the same spirit, the same idea. So we were like, 
let's do something cool. And um, uh, Halifax being as Amari-driven as is, everyone here loves bitter, dry cocktails. They love Amari. Um, so uh, we approached our Campari rep out here and brought. we just said, hey, we want to do this. Would you guys be interested? And um, they were very excited to have an opportunity to host an event, to have um, multiple spirits of theirs showcased. And, um, yeah, we did a lot of promotional stuff for them for a couple months while it was going on. And, yeah, so, I mean, if you have an idea, just uh, approach a brand. And um, and then other things we've had, uh, we've worked with, like, 1800. We've worked with Kraken to host other competitions. And uh, they've actually come to us for those. So and uh, I think then it's just important to um, make sure that their ideas align with your values and what you're comfortable working towards and um, just making sure that uh, everything you're doing is, um, yeah, exciting. So this came from you reaching out to brands and then brands, other brands, other reps saw what you had accomplished doing these things and started reaching out to you. Yeah, exactly. They, yeah, uh, word just kind of spread and people would start talking and be like, what's the most effective way to do this? And people started reaching out to Will and I um, just to um, execute these competitions, tastings, events for them. And because you and Will, obviously there are other people in Halifax doing amazing things, but because you and Will did this, you got a lot of international attention too, right? There was a whole feature in Imbibe Magazine about the town of Halifax. Yeah, that was super cool, and we were very excited about that. Uh, um, Wayne Curtis came up for, for a few days, I guess about a year and a half ago now, and uh, just spent his time eating and drinking his way through the city, and um, Will and I got to sit down with him on a couple different occasions, uh, once together and once each. Yeah, I think a lot of good came from that. And is Definitely Wayne Curtis your... a lot of attention in the past couple of years. Is Wayne uh, Curtis your favorite cocktail author now? Uh, well, I mean, I've always enjoyed reading his stuff in Imbibe and his books and everything. Uh, he's such a great writer. He's such a great guy. He's awesome to sit down and share a drink with. So, I saw him do a seminar. This is, I don't know, 12 years ago now. But he brought a bag of gunpowder to the seminar to <laughs> pour rum on it and light it on fire. Uh, That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, I, I never got to actually hang out with him. It's just it was a very impactful seminar of him talking about how proof can be measured. Oh, amazing! <laughs> <laughs> uh, and yeah, no, he's a he's a really awesome guy. Super interesting to talk to. Cool. So we've been we've been on the phone for about a half hour now. Um, before we go, I want to ask you what do you listen to when you're prepping at the bar? Oh, uh, it uh, it really depends on the day. I will honestly listen to anything from country to metal to rap. <laughs> uh, right now that it's winter, I'm kind of back into um, metal mode. Um, I've been rocking the new Ghost Inside album a lot, which is uh, super awesome. Lindsay, if anyone uh, wants to reach out to you and ask you some questions about how you set up Halley Team or, I mean, you know, pick your brain about more Ghost Inside records or whatever, how do they find you? <laughs> You can uh, find me on Instagram. My handle is uh, Lindsay Jones. Um, yeah, that's probably the best way to get a hold of me. And you're Lindsay with an A. Yes, I am. <laughs> Amazing. Thanks so much for taking the time to talk. Yeah, thanks, Josh. It's been so nice. Hey, I want to say thanks again to Lindsay Jones for taking the time to talk with me. If you're looking for her, you can find her at Halley Team 
Uh, like she said, you can also find her personally. If you're looking for me, at Bartender Atlas on Instagram is the best way to get a hold of me. If you have any ideas or questions or comments or anything you want to know about me or the podcast or the website, please reach out, let us know. In the meantime, hopefully you're keeping well. Hopefully your bar is open. Hopefully you're being safe when you're serving people. Be well, John Spartan. was great uh how's tony doing um okay i guess (laughs) (laughs) 
What, what does that mean? <laughs> Honestly, he's not my favorite person, Josh. Oh, no. Is he just yeah, too no, much? He's just, pardon? Is he just too much? No, he's just, he's not doing a good job. Oh, <laughs> no. That's terrible. Yeah, no, we were, um, all of us were kind of pretty excited. And, yeah, no, he's just, um, yeah, he's just, he's just, yeah, I don't oh, know. Oh, that's terrible. <laughs> I don't want to say anything too much. Oh, but, no, I mean, uh, whatever, just, man. Like, I, you know, I, I barely ever talk to him or anything, but that's a bummer. Oh, yeah. oh man. Uh, how's everything going on? I think he just life? got, a, like, an arrogance about him and came in a little hot-headed and uh, yeah. he's just kind of rubbed everyone the wrong way. <laughs> ah, bummer. Um, yeah. Uh, how's everything otherwise everything is great like uh the restaurant is crazy busy we're like booked out all week every week um we get like one slow night a week and that's about it but um yeah no everything's great is it is it really weird Um, that that the maritimes have bubbled the way they are but it's funny it's like you're the only part of the country or even the world that i've seen that like nope we're fine yeah, well, no, we're very lucky. I think it's us in New Zealand have been declared the two safest places in the world to live. It's so crazy. <laughs> so it's, uh, I, it, it almost feels selfish that life is pretty normal out here when the rest of the world's struggling so hard. Mm-hmm. It's just funny that there, there hasn't been like, you know, shock waves or whatever. Yeah, no, I think we have 11 cases right now and they've all been related to like outside travel and no community spread, but... Even that, people are like, stricter regulations, like, buckle down more. So everyone's taking it very serious out here, which is awesome because somebody needs to. (laughs) Yeah, there's a lot of people that do not take it seriously at all. No, and it's it's crazy. Um, So it's nice to see that everyone in the city has been playing along and just, uh, yeah. Yeah, and Ostrich Club is good. good. We're very lucky. Yeah, like, it's it's amazing. It's... um, it's doing so well and uh we have like such a dream team behind the bar right now and who all is working with you uh, right now uh so it's uh me will and um we just 